John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Um, we're going to start reading in verse 43. 40, uh, we're going to start reading in verse 43, and then we'll go to verse 54. So John 4, 43 to 54. Once you're there, let's get up together. Um, if you don't got a Bible, we'll have it here on the screens behind me. This is the second week of this um, two-week series we've been in. Uh, second week of this seven-week series we've been in called Glimpses of Glory. Glimpses of Glory. And um, John's Gospel is written where he's recording certain signs that Jesus does where he shows us or gives us a glimpse of his glory. So we want to follow John's uh, record of these signs so that hopefully we as a church together can catch a glimpse of this glory. And when we catch a glimpse of that glory, we were changed, Second Corinthians says. Uh, we love Jesus more, we follow Jesus better, we obey him more. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 43, it says, After two days he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. Uh, some of your Bibles might say received him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Canaan, Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from, Gal from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you, um, it's plural, so unless you all, unless you all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Uh, some of your Bibles might say, go, your son lives. Uh, original Greek, that's the tense. Go, your son lives. Present tense, active. Right now, your son lives. And the man believed Jesus' word. Uh, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son, once again, we, the ESV translates it, his son was recovering. NAS says that his son lives. Present tense, active. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, that's about 1 p.m., the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the exact hour when Jesus had said to him, go, your son lives. And he himself believed in all his household. This is now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Um, today I want to catch a glimpse of glory from the healing in Galilee, from the healing in Galilee. Father, thank you for being here with us in this room. Thank you for gathering us together as a community to you. This is heaven on earth. Uh, continue to speak to us. Continue to reveal yourself to us. We want to see your glory. We want to know your glory. So speak to us today. Amen. You, could, you can take a seat. So John, in this certain uh, section of his his letter, he's... He's playing tour guide for us. Uh, chapter 2, we've got Jesus in Galilee. Then John uh, takes us out of Galilee into Jerusalem. Um, Jesus is in Jerusalem for the rest of chapter 2. He's in Jerusalem for the rest of chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3 is when John says, all right, let's go back down to Galilee. John walks us through Samaria. And now here we are about to step into Galilee. And John says, before we get into Galilee, this is verse uh, 44, I want you to know this. Jesus told us 
that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Verse 45, John says, all right, let's get into Galilee. And as soon as we get into Galilee, the Galileans welcome Jesus. Did you see the conflict? Galilee was Jesus' headquarters. Galilee was Jesus' home base. Galilee for 30 years was Jesus' home country. So here we are in verse 44. Jesus said, prophet receives no honor in his own country. Here we are in verse 45. It says the Galileans welcomed, received, believed in Jesus. Uh, In the Gospel of John, John uses the word welcome or receive to communicate faith or belief. In John 1, he says those who did receive Jesus, believed Jesus, they were given the right to become children of God. So Jesus, you said a prophet receives no honor in his home country. Yet the people in your home country just received you. You said the people in your home country don't, don't, don't regard you as they ought. But the people in your home country believed in you. I think what John is showing us is that there's such a thing as an unsatisfactory faith. That there's such a thing as an unsatisfactory embrace of Jesus. Um, so uh, when I told Chelsea that I think I was going to preach, um, I told her that I would uh, keep the stories I told of our marriage at a minimum. Um, so in honoring that commitment, I want to tell you about my friends Jaron and Kelsey. Um, <laughs> Jaron and Kelsey, they'd been dating for six months at this point. Um, and Jaron, he was, he, was, he was putting that good romance on Kelsey. Uh, so, so they're just coming back from this crazy hot date. He took her to Sonic on 7th Street. Uh, got her a large drink. It, it was some good romance. And so they just left Sonic on 7th. They're on their way back to Ozark. They pull into Ozark, go into Alumni Hall, her dorm. Uh, they, 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 they park in front of her dorm, and she's about to open the door. But remember, Jaron's giving Kelsey that real good romance. So Chelsea said, no, babe. Or Dr- Jaron said, <laughs> the jig's up. Some of y'all, uh, Mary said she has the, prof- the, the gift of discernment, so she could tell earlier that this story was about me and Chelsea. So Jaron uh, opens up the car door, runs to her side, opens the door for her, real good romance, walks her to her door. She bats her eyes at him all pretty. He starts talking smooth talk, and she says, well, I guess I'm going to go in now. And, and she leans in like this, and instinctively he turns over and just gives her a side hug, two pats. She leans back and says, well, don't give me no side hug. I want a better hug than that. This is his girlfriend." For six months, they'd said, I love you at this point. They've held hands at this point. They've gone on a cross-country road trip to Kansas at this point. (laughs) And he gave her a side hug. Who she was to him deserved more than what he gave her. That's an unsatisfactory embrace. What, what, what John, he's getting us to, he's gearing us up for. He's saying there are going to be some people in Galilee who they're going to give Jesus an unsatisfactory embrace. They're going to give Jesus a spiritual side hug. What he deserves is not what the people in Galilee are going to give him. And I like what John does because he's using his left hand to point at the people in Galilee and he's using his right hand to point at us. And he's saying, look at that unsatisfactory embrace the hands give Jesus. Now y'all make sure y'all don't give it to Jesus.
Look at this, this unsatisfactory embrace they're doing. Y'all better give Jesus a better embrace, better faith than that. So as we get into Galilee, I want us to all be open to the, to the correction of Jesus through the mouth of John. Because I think Jesus might be pointing out something in us. He might be pointing out an unsatisfactory faith in us when we get into Galilee. So, so we get into Galilee and the moment we step into Galilee, John, he points out this man who's in an absolute mess and runs up at Jesus. From first sight, we can tell that this man's, this man's important. John says he's an official, uh, a royal official. He's a part of Herod's administration. This guy's got a government job, a real good salary. We know he's rich enough to have people working for him. He's probably got a lot of property. He's an important man. And then John lets us know he's a father. He comes up to Jesus and he says, I've come from Capernaum, that's 20 miles away, about a day's journey away, and I need you to come back and heal my son. He's sick. This isn't some normal kind of sick. He'll get over it. It says he was at the point of death. This is hospice sick. I don't know if you've known anyone that's been on hospice, but when you're on a hospice, it's not a question of if they'll die. The question is, when are they going to die? It's going to bed at night, not knowing if they'll wake back up. It's walking out of the room, not knowing if they'll be breathing when you get back. This boy was at the point of death. Can I parenthetically pause and point out that that man had all that stuff and tragedy still hit his house? Can I point out that stuff is a terrible source of security? Can, 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 can I point out that in a, in a culture and in a country where we, where we accumulate stuff and the goal is to get more stuff and we feel settled when we have, have stuff, that tragedy still comes to your house. That stuff is a terrible source of security. Uh, the Old Testament, it talks about, it talks about arm length. It says God has a long arm. That means he's able to do all that he wants to do. That means he's able to be your security. That money, got a short arm. That job, that's a short arm. That stuff, it's got a short arm. It's not able to protect you. God is our only source of security. So this man says, I need you to come to Capernaum and heal my boy. And Jesus looks at him and he says, unless y'all believe, that's the new, or unless y'all see signs and wonders, that's the new Southern translation. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all won't believe. But believing in the Bible, according to the authors of scripture, we believe with our bodies. You look at the examples of faith and the way the scripture talks about faith and it's about action more than it's about ideas that we affirm. So, so Jesus' younger brother, James, says, you show me your faith apart from your works? Impossible. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe with your body. If you believe that a chair can actually hold you, you put your body on that chair. If you believe that a bridge can sustain you, you step your body on that bridge. It's not just talking it, it's walking it. Belief is living like it's true. So Jesus says, unless y'all see signs and wonders, you won't believe. All right, Jesus, you're messing with my plans. I planned months ago to preach through these signs for seven, for seven weeks. And now you're saying, unless we see signs, we won't believe. The reason I'm preaching about signs is so that we can believe. Do I need to cancel the whole series? Look closely at what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't critiquing signs. Jesus himself uses signs to produce faith in people. What Jesus is critiquing is the attitude that demands a sign before it believes in him. 
Jesus is critiquing the attitude that requires to see something before it believes in him. Jesus does this throughout his whole ministry. Matthew chapter 12, this group of religious people come up to Jesus and they say, what sign do you do so that we can believe? And Jesus looks at him and he says, a wicked and adulterous generation demands a sign. Uh, Jesus' homeboy Thomas, after Jesus called his death and resurrection and word gets spread that Jesus has in fact risen, his homeboy Thomas says, unless I put my fingers through his palms, unless I put my fist in his abs and see him, I refuse to believe. Jesus walks through a wall like a Kool-Aid man, pops up on Thomas and says, don't, don't disbelieve. Jesus is unsatisfied with the faith that, re- that demands it see something before it believes in him. Um, has anyone ever been told to put a fleece out there for God? Anyone ever, show of hands, anybody ever, ever been told, just put a fleece out there? You know where we got that from. That's Christianese. We, we pulled it from the story of uh, Gideon, where, where God told Gideon, you, you're going to be the one to deliver my people from Midianite oppression. I've put my spirit on you and I'll be with you and you'll have victory. And do you know what this joker said? He said, OK, I've got this. I've got this towel. I've got this fleece. So what I'm going to do, God, I, I need you to prove it. I need to know you'll actually be with me like you said you would. So so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put this fleece out right in my front yard. And I want you, when the dew falls in the morning, I want you to make the dew fall on the grass, but not on my fleece. And God does it. And then Gideon says, look, God, I don't want to be annoying. And I know you just proved your word, but I need you to prove your proof. Um, so I'm going to put this fleece back out. And this time, I want you to do the opposite. I'm going to put it out, and I want you to make the dew fall on the grass, but leave the fleece dry. And God does it. Friends, I don't think that story was about Gideon's great faith. I think that was more about God's patience. I don't think the author of Judges is showing us all the faith that Gideon had. I think he's showing us the faith that Gideon didn't have. Gideon's fleece was an attempt to get God to show him a sign before he believed God's word. Listen to me. A fleece-setting faith is a frail faith. A fleece-setting faith is a frail faith. And Jesus is unsatisfied with a fleece-setting faith. Those of us who've believed in Jesus and those of us who won't believe in Jesus, in some form, we've all at some point put out a fleece for God. There are people who won't believe in Jesus right now because they say, if he would have healed my mother like I asked him, then I would have believed in him. As soon as the evil disappears from the world, then I'll believe in him. Christian, 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 God, I know you're telling me to go to this person, but just have them come talk to me first so I know you're serious. I know that I ought to be engaging in community. I know that I should engage in the church, but just have someone invite me first so I know you really want me to. I know your scripture actually says this, but give me a dream about it. Here's one that we might be at risk of in a, in a, in a time right now where Jesus' word is clear on what he wants us to do, but society's not about it. Some of us might be waiting on society to approve the biblical way of life before we believe that it's the right way of life. That's a fleece. 
God's not going back and forth with you and your fleece. He's not interested in it. And he may never do it. Let's talk about toddlers. Uh, goal of a parent is to raise a mature adult, hopefully. And that toddler's in the terrible twos, throw a fit threes, fuss about everything fours. They, they're constantly demanding stuff. Tie my shoes, pick me up, give me the bottle. I want the TV. I want to sleep in your bed. If those parents give that toddler everything it asks for, when that toddler turns eight, you know what that toddler's not going to do? Be able to put her own pants on. It's possible for a parent to give a toddler what it demands to the point that the toddler never actually grows up. Dallas Willard says, if God keeps giving us the signs that we ask for, we'll never develop a grown-up faith. Hebrews 11 says, it gives us a picture of grown-up faith. It says, now faith is the conviction of things not seen. If God keeps giving you something, if he keeps showing you what you want him to show before you believe, you will never develop a grown-up faith that believes without seeing. So we've got to fleece out right now, some of us right now, and God has been silent. Maybe the reason God's not showing you what you want him to show you is because he loves you too much to stunt your growth. Maybe he's saying, no, I'm not going to give that to you. I want your faith to grow up. I'm not going to give that to you. I can't let my child uh, uh, continually live with the baby faith. So let's go back to this toddler. This toddler is now 10. And now the 10-year-old's asking for stuff, stuff. Uh, can I have the iPhone 13? C- can I have these shoes? Can I have this bike? Asking for stuff. Now that 10-year-old who got all that stuff is a 16-year-old who only talks to his parents when he wants stuff. And now that 16-year-old who only talks to his parents when he wants stuff is 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 20 with his own job, able to get stuff on his own, and never talks to his parents. And hindsight shows us that relationship, that boy's relationship with his parents was about their stuff and not about them. We're at risk if he, if God keeps giving us signs, it becomes about the signs. Never about him. This is what happens to the Galileans. It says the reason they believed John 4, uh, John 4 verse 45 is because they saw all that he did in Jerusalem. These Galileans loved Jesus' magic tricks, and now that's all about Jesus' magic tricks. It's not at all about Jesus. Let me push it a little bit further. If God keeps giving you something, if he keeps showing you what you want him to show you before you believe, your faith will be placed in the thing and not in him. You'll place your faith in the sign and not him. I was talking to Mary after the last meeting about this, and it'll never be enough. Do you know what the children of Israel saw God do? He walked them out of Egypt. Gnats, frogs everywhere. He turned an ocean into blood. They walked out of Egypt with Pharaoh's money. Sea split. And here they are in the desert, still doubting God. Stuff's never enough. Jesus says, that's an unsatisfactory faith. We've got to have more than a faith that demands to see before it believes. 
So Jesus, he pushes us further in the story, and what he does is he gives us a glimpse of his glory. He shows us who he is, and this glimpse produces the kind of faith that believes before it sees. So the man says, look, I know you're talking about signs. I know you're talking about wonders. I just need you to come down and heal my boy before he dies. And Jesus says, go, your son lives right now. And and he said, John said, the man believed Jesus' his word. Man goes on his way home, runs into his uh, employees, and they say, look, we don't know what happened, but that boy is alive. Running outside, eating everything. He smells like outside again. He's alive, alive. And the man said, what time? 1 p.m. And it says the man remembers that was the exact moment Jesus said, your boy lives. The power of Jesus is in the, is in the tense and the timing. In the tense of what he said and the timing of it happening. Jesus didn't say your boy will live and give future hope for him to maybe get better at some point. Jesus said your boy lives right now in this moment. And at that present moment, that boy's situation turned. That thing was as Jesus said it was. Things are as Jesus says they are. Don't you let no uh, preacher, don't you let no motivational speaker, don't you let no Facebook post Fool you, the only one who can speak anything into existence is Jesus. Here's our glimpse. Jesus' word is reality. Jesus' word is reality. I I heard an author say that we get a tiny picture of how God is and how God operates when we look at an author with a blank piece of paper. 1939, C.S. Lewis, he sat down in front of a blank piece of paper. And on that blank piece of paper with his own words, he created and constructed a whole universe. With his own words, he, he, he determined the reality of that universe. A talking lion was king because C.S. Lewis said it. Uh, a wardrobe was a highway into another world because C.S. Lewis said it. What C.S. Lewis did for a few decades is God's existence eternally. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, before the beginning, God. Hebrews 11 says, God created the universe with the power of his word. The nothingness in the beginning was God's blank piece of paper. And his word constructed and created a whole universe. And his word is determining all of its reality. Gravity pulls you because he said it. You can't walk through walls because he said it. The reason you can understand me making random noises out of my mouth is because he said it. Things are, things will be, things have been what Jesus says they will be. Psalm 119 verse 161 says, the sum total of your word is truth. The the essence, the heart of the things that come out of your mouth is reality. If you want to know what truth is, look to the mouth of Jesus. You want to know what reality is? Look to the mouth of Jesus. For those of us who have smartphones in our pocket, that's why it's good to get off of social media for a while. We have, we have the news and we have people's opinions in our pocket 24-7. And if we're not careful, this overexposure to somebody else's narrative of what, of what reality is can give us a warped perspective. But we've got to, we've got to, we've got to step away from it for a while and just listen to the true voice that determines reality. His word is reality. I like it because we don't just get a glimpse in this passage, but we also get a way to respond in this passage. 
We also get a message. The only reason I'm preaching this week is to tell you this. Take him at his word. John communicates this three ways in this passage. He communicates it in the story. He communicates it in the context of the story. And he communicates it in the context of the story in the context of the whole book. Let's start with the story. This situation is an illustration of taking Jesus at his word. Notice what the man asked Jesus. He said, I need you to come down to Capernaum and heal my son. I need you to travel. I need to tangibly see you come down and touch my boy. And Jesus just said, go. And John put this intentionally. The man believed the word. This is John saying, look at him. Look at him. Take Jesus at his word just like this man. Here's the second one, the context of this story. John chapter 4, split into two parts. First half of John chapter 4, the verse 42 verses is in Samaria. The next uh, 11 or so verses is in Galilee. In Samaria, Jesus tells the woman at the well that she's had six husbands and the seventh, or she had five husbands and the six isn't her husband now. And then she goes back and she says, let me tell you about a man who told me all that I did. And it said, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah just because that word. Jesus goes into Samaria and it says they believed Jesus now on account of his what? His word. And then they go back to that woman and they said, look, we don't believe because of what you said anymore. We've heard, not seen, we've heard his word and now we know that he's the savior of the world. And then he shows us these Galileans who got to see Jesus do tricks and do two tap dances. And John's holding up the Samaritans who need to see to believe, or the Galileans who need to see to believe, and the Samaritans who believe with just hearing. And John's saying, be like a Samaritan. And then, within the whole context of the book of John, these two words, believe and see, they pop up again in John chapter 20. It's a theme that he develops throughout. I told you about Jesus' homeboy, Thomas. After Jesus walks up on Thomas and Thomas says, oh, my Lord and my God, Jesus picks him up and he says, Thomas, do you believe because you saw? Blessed are those who believe and don't see. John's telling us there's a blessing in not needing to see before we believe. All of these are communicating the one message. Take him at his word. Let's go back to Sunday school. Y'all remember that song, Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So are you. So let's just praise the Lord right on. And then we go through our whole body. Why are we calling Abraham Father Abraham? Bible calls him the father of faith. That means he's our example. He's a, he's a picture of what belief ought to look like. Not Gideon, friends. Abraham. Abraham's an old man. God says, look, I'm going to make you a great nation. So get up, leave everything and go to the place I'll show you. And you know what it says Abraham did? He got up and did it. He believed. Genesis chapter 15, I believe, uh, um, Abraham asked God, he says, all right, God, are you going to do this? And, and God says, walk outside, Abraham. Abram at the time, walk outside, Abram. Uh, look at the stars. He says, if you can count the stars in the sky, that I'm going to give you more kids than that. Uh, Genesis 15, 6 says, and Abram, 75 years old, tired, gray, his wife is out of eggs. And it says, Abram believed God. 
Why did Abram believe God? Because he said it. God's trying to get us to the point of believing because he said it. So I know right now you're asking, why should I believe if I don't see what I want to see? And God's answering your question with the question and saying, can you believe me without having to see what you want to see? Am I God enough that you believe me because I said it? I'm talking about belief. Tim pointed this out to me earlier. He pointed out... um, Jesus was operating out of the assumption that these people had good reason to believe him just because he said it. So let's ask this question, why now? What is my reason? Why should I believe him without having to see? Uh, For the non-Christian, why should I believe that Jesus is who he says he is when the things that I see aren't what I think I want to see? For the Christian, when Jesus speaks to me through his word, when he speaks to me through the uh, spirit, why should I believe him without seeing? Why should I live like that's actually true? Christ church, when Jesus speaks to us as he has been, why should we live as if that's true? Why should we believe that? Why should we orient our whole lives and our whole church around the word of Jesus when we don't see what we want to see? Answer is real simple. He's already shown us enough. Back to Matthew 12, they demanded this sign, and Jesus says, for those of you who've got to see something, here's what you'll see. You'll see me do the sign of Jonah. Let, let's go back to nursery school, uh, to, to Sunday school. Um, New Direction Church of God, that's the church my grandparents pastored back in Lawton. Uh, they had us watching Veggie Tales for Children's Church for a season. Um, if you don't know what Veggie Tales are, they're talking vegetables that sing songs about Jesus. Um, greatest contribution that Christianity has given the world. Um, so, so we were sitting in there one day and they're teaching us about Jonah. And, and this, this piece of broccoli was like, do y'all know who Jonah is? And we were like, no. And so the piece of broccoli, he said, he said, Jonah was a prophet, but that's not why he's remembered. We tell the tale because in a whale, he nearly was dismembered. And then the little peas, they get real jazzy and they get real nice. And he says, uh, now Jonah sailed, uh, on a private ship. Uh, in a dreary gale, and then the little thing says, somehow he managed not to be dead. They're telling us that, that, that Jonah went down into the ocean in the belly of a fish, and after three days, he came up out of that thing. And Jesus told these people, you want to see a sign? Just like Jonah, y'all are going to put me down in the grave, and after three days, I'm going to walk up out of that thing. And then a little bit later, it, uh, what happened was what he said would happen. Uh, They hung him high, just like he said. Uh, They stretched him real wide, just like he said. Uh, He hung his head, just like he said. And then he died, just like he said. The song says, but that's not how the story ends, just like he said. Because three days later, he came out living again, just like he said. And right now, all power is in his hands, just like he said. So if that worked out just like he said i'm a believe that things are just as he says i'm a believe that god is my father just like he says i'm a believe that he knows my needs just like he says i'm gonna believe that when i seek first his kingdom all of those things will be added just like he says i'm gonna believe even though i see darkness he's making it all new just like he says 
I'm going to believe even though there's still sin in my life. He's glorifying me day by day, just like he says. I'm going to believe that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, just like he says. Proverbs 35 says, all of your words are tried and they're true. Things are just as he says. That's our glimpse, Christ Church. His word is reality. He doesn't want a side hug from us anymore. He doesn't want us to have to see anything anymore. He wants us to just believe him at his word. So when he speaks to us as a church, all hands on deck, we're turning the ship around. We don't need to see a thing. 